a part of the motivation for the United States doing this is to contain and target China.、Mm. And this is, of course, not good for China, but it's not good for global development, and it's not even good for the United States. The point I'm trying to make is that there's a distinction between、um, these early developments of the technology versus direct manufacturing. I think this bill goes too far in terms of providing basically direct subsidies to even manufacturing activities. For the domestic chip maker in the U.S.,、uh, their largest customers are usually in China.、Mm. Uh, since 2016,、um, the share of their Chinese customers has been declining.、Um, but to further reduce their reliance from the current level is going to be quite difficult,、uh, precisely because of China's manufacturing、uh, supply chain strength. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Hello and welcome to Chat Lounge. I'm Liu Kun. In this edition, we、we'll、take a look at the Chips and Science Act passed by U.S. Congress and its potential implications in the global semiconductor industry and its supply chain. And joining me today are Wang Dan, Chief Economist at Hengsheng Bank China, Andy Mark, Senior Research Fellow at the Center for China and Globalization, also Professor Zhang Gong, Vice President of Research and Strategy at the University of International Business and Economics, Israel. Thank you. For talking to me now,、uh, first let me take let let's take a look at the basics.、Um, uh, we all understand, we know that semiconductors are important,、uh, but why are they important for a country's economy? I mean, has it suddenly become an issue in the past few years, or has it always been an issue?、Um, maybe let me start with Wang Dan. Uh, sure. Uh, the semiconductor industry is important for at least two reasons. One is, of course, its economic implications.、Uh, it is the foundation of、uh, the big parts of the global economy now, and it will be the driving engine for a lot of the large emerging industries, including China, in the coming decade.、Uh, and then there is also the national security angle.、Uh, we can see that.、Uh, In every country, the military is reliant on、um, some kind of chips,、mm. and as everything getting more digital, actually every country is trying to be more self-sufficient or try to be more、uh, strategic when it comes to the chip supply, and that's where the semiconductor industry come in in、mm. its vitality. Right, Andy, do you have something to add on? I mean,、um, in our daily life, how is the semiconductor, you know, related to? Uh, people like me, like I am not in this in the national security or anything like that. What, how is it related to my daily life? Well, I think what's very interesting, you know, part of your question was,、mm-hmm. you know, why have semiconductors be- become so important? You know, has it always been this way?、Mm-hmm. Um, a comparison that is often made is that semiconductors are the new oil. And I think that actually is very apt, but many people might not completely understand why. So oil was not always important either. But when we moved into the industrial revolution, or with the advent of the industrial revolution, oil became vitally important. So with the digital revolution as well,、uh, silicon semiconductor chips were not important in the past, but they are very, very important、uh, to people like you and me because. We could not be having this call right now without semiconductors,、mm. and they go into every 
from toothbrushes to cars to fighter jets. And it is not an overstatement to say that our modern world would stop working without mm. semiconductors. Well, wait, so wait, wait. Way, very what, what do you mean too. by um, semiconductor is important for toothbrushes? Um, do, do you mean electronic toothbrushes or? Sure, electric toothbrushes, yes. Mm. All right. So we think about everything becoming uh, digitized. Of course, computers, smartphones, but think about uh, your uh, alarm clock, your coffee machine, your electric toothbrush, um, even a lot of the control systems in your house all depend on semiconductors. Uh, public transportation, trains, automobiles, airplanes. Uh, so think about a world where if oil were suddenly cut off from a country, that country's life, not just the economic activity, but that life would grind to a standstill. And semiconductors are exactly the same, which is why uh, it is not just uh, an economic issue and a national security issue, as Wang Dan said, but it really is an existential issue, uh, which is why I think so many countries in particular, uh, the major countries like uh, China, the United States, and uh, the countries of the European Union uh, are so worried about this. Mm. Now, Professor Gong, is is um, it was it because like I wasn't in the, in the news industry, uh, I, I wasn't aware that um, you know semiconductors are an issue um, in the past is an issue, or was it um, because? Since the Trump administration, the United States is feeling that its dominant position in the industry is kind of becoming weak, that this is becoming a more and more important issue. Um, well, I think partly um, mm. it is because um, the uh, control of the industry is sort of, you know, it might be shifting away from the United States. Mm. Um, you know, it, it shifted substantially first to Japan and later on it shifted to South Korea and, and now it looks like you know you have many more semiconductor you know, factories in, in China as well um, and I think um, you know that this industry has become so vitally important as any and one that have already alluded to uh, that it is uh, you know viewed as a, uh, a strategic industry from US perspective mm -hmm. um, and, and this is, I think, uh, United States is also, um, in a way, I think, is leading in um, maybe not in manufacturing itself. Uh, I'm talking about manufacturing of chips itself, but mm -hmm. also, um, it, but it's also, um, I think, it's still very much uh, playing a leading role uh, in the upstream of this industry. For example, you know, the equipment. Uh, for making semiconductors, the um, the research and uh, uh, development uh, uh, of, of new technologies related to semiconductors, um, the design softwares, for example, you know, mm. all these things are upstream to the, um, the the actual running of the foundry. Um, you know, United States still has a very much of an edge in mm. my view, um, and and I think uh, it is from this perspective that. Uh, the um, mm. U.S. government um, really wants to uh, the U.S. economy to have a very big piece of this industry, mm. and and so as to um, you know derive more value out of the entire value chain. Mm. Um, right. It, yeah. Go mm. ahead. Sorry. Mm. 
Well, Wangdan, uh, enlighten me. Like, who are the leading? Uh, who are the leaders? Let's say in this uh, semiconductor industry in our world,、um, and how did we come into today's landscape in this industry? Is it、um, becoming harder for latecomers to, you know, to find a place in this industry? Well, the leading countries in the chip supply chain now are the U.S.,、uh, mm. Japan, and the Netherlands,、um, but they have very different strengths、uh, when it comes to the intellectual property.、Uh, the U.S. and Japan is more advanced,、um, but the Dutch is mainly in manufacturing、mm. uh, of the chip.、Um, today's landscape was actually originated from the military use. As we all know, that most cutting-edge technologies today were coming from、um, something related with the First World War or Second World War.、Um, the U.S. military was once the biggest customer for the Silicon Valley chips, and over time, those use have been spill- spilling over to the civilian use. And these days,、uh, it has become quite a complicated network、uh, when it comes to chip manufacturing, chip design. And a few countries and regions have gained their advantages over time,、mm. because this industry would require a lot of the initial investment, usually in the billion-dollar range, and that was basically impossible for、mm. uh, most emerging industries in the world. Well, you just said、uh, a few、uh, countries and regions、uh, later become sort of leaders too, but it's、uh, different. What、uh, tell us? About you know the importance of、uh, let's say South Korea and、um, you know the, the 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 Taiwan Taiwan Island in terms of this. And South Korea and Taiwan Island has become very important in the chip manufacturing,、um, especially the Taiwan region. It has、uh, the TSMC as the leading manufacturer of the chip in the world.、Mm. Uh, every country is heavily reliant on it. Uh, and when it comes to South Korea,、uh, it is about the same share when it comes to the chip sold、uh, in the global market,、uh, comparing to China. So China's importance in the global chip supply chain is close to South Korea, but still has、uh, quite a bit to catch up when it comes to、uh, the intellectual property rights.、Mm. Um, but both region would. Not will not be able to manufacture the latest version of the chips without help and tax support from Europe and the U.S.、Mm, well, now let's、uh, let's see the the details of、uh, this Chips and Science Act、uh, by U.S. Congress.、Uh, according to the Congressional Budget Office, the bill provides more than fifty-two. Uh, billion U.S. dollars in grants and other incentives for the semiconductor industry, as well as a 25% tax credit for those companies that invest in chip plants in the U.S. It calls for increased spending on various research programs that would total about 200 billion U.S. dollars over 10 years. Now, Andy, it's um, it's 52 billion dollars, a huge sum for the industry in the U.S. And what does it tell about the purpose of this bill? Well, it's actually not a very large amount of money. So, as Wang Dan said,、uh, to build chip manufacturing capacity, so these are called fabs, the factories that actually create semiconductors,、right. uh, cost ten, twenty billion dollars、uh, each now. So, every successive generation of chips is becoming more expensive.、Um, but that being said. 
I think there's two issues here um, with this CHIPS Act. Um, one is that, again, if we think about semiconductors as oil, um, the problem is there are two points of failure in the semiconductor value chain. So uh, the most advanced semiconductors uh, in the world uh, that power smartphones, uh, a lot of the AI processing, et cetera, really come from one company in one place in the world, and that's TSMC in Taiwan, mm. uh, as Wang Dan mentioned. So the problem here is the other point of failure, then, is in the Netherlands with a company called ASML that makes the lithography machines. Mm. So the problem here is if anything should happen to Taiwan, there's an earthquake, there's a tsunami, an asteroid falls out of the sky and hits uh, TSML's uh, fabs, the world would be really in a lot of trouble. <laughs> so a better world is where there are no single points of failure for such a critical commodity. So I think the motivation for the CHIPS bill, by the way, which has it's a very cute acronym uh, that stands for creating helpful incentives to produce semiconductors in the United States, well, right. Um, is uh, is right. And And again, in a world without destructive geopolitics, this is a good thing that uh, advanced chips can be made in different parts of the world so the supply chain is more resilient. I think no country would be against that, whether you're China, whether you're a country in the EU, whether you're the United States. Um, so this is a good thing. But to answer your question, uh, $52 billion is not a lot of money when it comes to these things. But it can be a catalyst and it can be a good start. Where, what concerns me is the destructive geopolitical elements of this, where uh, a part of the motivation for the United States doing this is to contain and target China. Mm. And this is, of course, not good for China, but it's not good for global development, and it's not even good for the United States. And this is... Uh, along with Pelosi's recent visit, we can see as another piece of evidence uh, that the U.S. is really treating China as an adversary and may give China no choice but to react in non-optimal ways for everybody, but uh, is necessary. And this is really, really unfortunate. Mm. Well, indeed, uh, the, the visit by Nancy Pelosi is creating a lot of uh, heat in the press and a lot of discussions are indeed focused on, you know, how it might uh, create a sort of instability for the supply chains. Um, Professor Gong, what's your take on this, on the purpose of the bill? Well, the, the, the bill, in my view, is, is a big exercise of industrial policy backed by a huge amount of money. I think, you know, $50 billion is a lot of money. And, and, and another research and development funding, you know, in the amount of $200 billion, that's another very big piece of uh, industrial policy, in my view. Um, so, um, so I think, uh, you know, on this issue, clearly, what the United States government is doing is basically copying you know, what's being done in the past in China mm -hmm. and what's been very much criticized by the United States uh, in, in, in this regard. Um, the the um, the second thing is, I think is that this bill, what this bill entails, is that um, to some extent I think it also um, provides a lot of incentives and help to um, the key U.S. competitor that is Intel. Uh, I joke with people saying that, uh, you know, mm. this is 
should be called an Intel subsidy bill. <laughs> uh, Intel stands to uh, benefit a lot from from this funding and containing the bill. Um, it, 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 I think that still, you know, even though TSMC is a, is a great company, has been uh, you know, very successful in manufacturing high-end uh, market segments in this industry, um, you know, these high-end chips uh, uh, in this industry, uh, still it's very competitive. I mean, it does have competitors, uh, you know, I think principally from, from Intel, if you're talking about, you know, American company. Mm. Um, so I think that this bill uh, does have some intention to uh, you know, some, somewhat like a you know, made America bill, I think, you know, it's trying to help American companies to manufacture things in the United States. So, mm. um, so it's a big exercise of uh, industrial policy. Uh, you can call it uh, distortionary trade practices. I mean, all these things that Mr. Lighthizer, Robert Lighthizer has come up with to criticize China, I think it's embedded in this bill. Mm. Wanda, what do you think on, on uh, about that? That this, this is in fact uh, a big exercise of industrial policy, and um, as we already discussed, China is kind of a latecomer, and it's still you know lagging behind quite a lot in terms of intellectual property. Why are the United States so worried about this? Well, the U.S. sees semiconductors as a strategic good. So it has been worried about China's ability in building up its own domestic chip industry. So what have we, have we seen? We have seen in the past few years um, is that the U.S. has been trying to work with its allies, including South Korea and European countries, Japan. Um, they are trying to set standards, uh, excluding China from this part of the industry. And domestically, they're trying to set aside funds to encourage domestic companies to cut off their ties with China. And now the compromise uh, from the U.S., because there is a lot of pressure from its domestic providers Mm -hmm. of those chips, uh, one compromise the U.S. has made is to cut off Chinese access to chips and chip-making tools Mm -hmm. that are above certain level of sophistication. But it doesn't seem to satisfy the appetite of the White House. They want to put more limits on China's capacity in this industry because it is a transformative technology for the future. Mm. Well, excuse me, Wanda. Also, um, I mean, we know that governments take uh, critical industries into national hands, let's say, all the time. Like um, sometimes it's oil. And sometimes it's um, it's uh, let's say in in the, the case of uh, you know France it's uh, the 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 uh, electricity company that it it wants to totally nationalize amid the you know the current war going on in Ukraine. Um, but what's the boundary here, Wandan? And what is the U.S. Uh, well, is it United States abusing this uh, national security concern? You know, in this uh, act. Um, I wouldn't call it abusing national Mm -hmm. security concern, um, but uh, the U.S. has always been doing um, those industrial policies and and conducting its diplomacy out of its national interest. From the U.S. government point of view, if they cannot get ahead in this part of the innovation uh, of China, then they will need to do something to slow China down. Mm. And they have a legit concern because China is really stepping up its effort in the state funding, in private company participation, and also in the 
<clears throat> talent cultivation. So just give it a few more years or a few more decades, then we will see a real closing up in the technological gap. So the U.S. Uh, since Donald Trump has been uh, given out a lot of warnings to its domestic audiences on China's power in this industry. And since then, um, China's semiconductor industry is increasingly seen as a growing threat. Uh, I'm, I don't feel too surprised by where we are now. Mm. Andy, what's your take? Because um, as uh, Wang Dan and Professor Gong has uh, kind of mentioned, uh, the United States, when uh, USTR Robert Lighthizer was in office, he accused China of sort of, uh, you know, this uh, this uh, a nationally controlled, let's say, industrial policy, but now it's kind of practicing the same. It's kind of a double standard, what do you think? Well, it certainly is. And, mm. you know, at the ideological level, certainly mm. this is problematic for the U.S. But even if we look, uh, even a cursory study of the development of semiconductors, we could see that this so-called double standards, this hypocrisy, uh, this actually fantasy uh, that the U.S. has uh, of free markets providing the best results is just not true because semiconductors were invented at Bell Labs, which was a part of the national American telephone system. Mm. And the only reason that Bell Labs could devote so much uh, manpower and money to developing these breakthrough technologies like semiconductors was because it was a monopoly. So mm. that right there shows that this American ideology uh, is not always correct. And then let's look at TSMC, which is, uh, you know, a, a brilliant, a brilliantly successful business that came to dominate uh, global semiconductor production. So Morris Chang, who was the uh, founder, was actually picked by the Taiwan uh local government mm. to say, we need to have a globally competitive industry. Morris Chang, because you could not become CEO at Texas Instruments, um, but you have the vision, you have the technological chops, uh, you have the organizational ability to be the CEO of such a company. We will back you. So go build TSMC. Mm -hmm. So I think we can see is not just in China, but in Taiwan and even in the U.S. Uh, you obviously Taiwan is a part of China, but what I mean is the mainland uh, that the U.S. even in the U.S. that uh, the government playing an active role in uh, driving technological breakthroughs is actually the way a lot of times this works. Mm -hmm. So it's very problematic uh, if this competition that the Biden administration is describing as this battle between democracies versus autocracies, that in fact, the ideology is demonstrably false. Mm. Well, then, Andy, um, I believe a lot of uh, economists, let's say, uh, will be pretty much, uh, I mean, not against, but they will have a lot of opinion on this act. Um, because, um, I mean, even you know, for for layman as me, I understand that free market is essential for for any economy of our time. So, what really is the boundary here for you know a kind of a government, let's say, management or supervision, and you know the vitality of a free market? Well, I think here we're getting a little bit far away from semiconductors, but mm. certainly 
Uh, this is a question of not just economics, but I think uh, political science and even philosophy as well. Mm. Because we look at China today, what is the biggest uh, initiative is that uh, controlling the disorderly expansion of capital. So what's the big idea behind this? In the U.S., it's believed that free markets should reign supreme and that this delivers the best results, despite mm. you know, some pretty compelling evidence that this is not true. Whereas China, I think, has accurately recognized how the world works and says, look, the free market is very important. Uh, it can deliver tremendous gains to make human life better. But it is also very powerful and dangerous, and mm -hmm. we cannot let it be in charge. And it plays a role, just like other forces of society play a role, but it has to be properly channeled, properly controlled by government. Mm -hmm. And I think this is uh, negatively portrayed in the West as, quote unquote, autocracy. But if we look at the results, it's actually delivering, uh, I think, you know, some pretty good outcomes, mm -hmm. uh, not just for China, but for the world. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Now back to the, 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 the detail of the uh, of the act. Um, because uh, the bill uh, includes a provision that prohibits any semiconductor company receiving financial help through the bill from supporting manufacturer of advanced chips in China. The general idea is that if uh, if uh, the Commerce Department of the United States uh, decided that you know a certain foreign company is uh, let's say a foreign entity of national concern for the United States, then uh, if a company U.S. company is working with it, and then that company will probably be um, be not be. Uh, receiving any financial help from the U.S. government and the Commerce Department of the U.S. will certainly be the judge of that. Uh, Professor Gong, how do you, how do you view this uh, its potential Im impact for uh, company decisions, investment decisions? It's certainly going to impact their mm. uh, strategic thinking, um, strategic decision. Um, it's basically forcing companies to uh, make a choice. Uh, either you uh, do business with China, or you do business with the United States, um, and 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 somewhat like um, the um, you know in in, um, in antitrust uh, area, mm. I would like to make an analogy here. Mm. It's called foreclosure. It's called exclusive dealing. Mm. Um, and and you know in antitrust we have a term called abuse of market dominance, uh, specifically in China. Um, the mm. Uh, regarding the antitrust and the monopoly law, Article 17, or something like this. So I'm just making an analogy here. Mm. But I think clearly, uh, you know, from a, a geopolitical point of view, uh, you know, I think uh, clearly this view uh, is trying to achieve the goal of, um, mm. you know, making a strategic, strategic uh, geostrategic play here, uh, right. in terms of forcing companies to, to, uh, to, 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 to. Uh, Mm. Choose a side. Right um, now, back yeah, mm. back to the back to the, the question about uh, this uh, the subsidy question, uh, industrial policy question. Mm. And I, I, I think uh, it might be advisable to go back to the uh, WTO rule regarding this issue about the subsidy. Um, 
the the WTO rule, in my view, um, is uh, it's not opposed actually to government provide some subsidies, uh, fundings for R and D, uh, but not directly to manufacturing. Mm. I mean, that there's a distinction here. Um, and, and certainly, you know, we know this very, very famous lawsuit between uh, uh, a couple of litigations, actually, uh, between um, uh, Airbus and Boeing Company. Right. right? Um, and, and it's this whole saga of the student gas each other is all about the distinction between manufacturing and 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 and, and the you know, research and development. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Randy actually mentioned the. Uh, Bell Labs. I used to work there, so I know <laughs> a little bit more to say about that. Um, the uh, it's an R&D organization. It's a private company owned uh, in the and a monopoly of the telephone industry at the time. Um, it was entirely because this industry was called a natural monopoly. Um, it's supposed to be regulated by the government, mm-hmm. um, and and I think the the, the regulatory regime at the time. Um, wasn't very efficient in my view. It was called the uh, return regulation. In other words, any investment made by this company, uh, by Bell Labs, for example, and I'm sorry, by AT&T at the time, mm. um, will be, uh, f- you know, basically reimbursed with some uh, uh, rate of return on capital, and it's 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 reimbursed in the form of raising. Uh, the ratepayers' bills, basically, mm. um, and that incentivizes the company to make all kinds of investment in all kinds of R&D. They hire physicists, they hire you know people who work in chemistry, they hire fortunately some economists too. You know, that <laughs> <laughs> so was one of them being hired. Um, and, and 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 I mean, there's a series of great inventions uh, happened there. Um, and, and semiconductor, the transistor, basically, the idea of transistor um, was indeed invented there. So, um, right. so, so, I, so I think you know the point I'm trying to make is that there's a distinction between um, these early developments of the technology versus direct manufacturing, um, and and the the, mm. the I think this bill goes too far in terms of providing basically. Direct subsidies to even manufacturing activities. Well, uh, you build a factory in the United States, thirty percent, twenty percent of the cost will be paid by this bill. Mm. So that's what it is. Well, I think it's an important distinction that you just mentioned, and uh, of course, thank you for bringing us some of the you know the details of uh, the Bell Labs from a perspective of an insider. Um, Wang Dan, what do you think about uh, you know the the possible? Let's see. Um, possible moves that will be made by by chip makers uh, surrounding this uh, this provision are they going to just not invest or collaborate with China anymore, or are they are they going to try to find a way to let's say circumvent this provision? Um, certainly, among all those lobbyists uh, in Washington D.C., mm-hmm. it just seems that uh, this has been the center of the industrial issues. Um, and for the domestic chip maker in the U.S., uh, their largest customers are usually in China. Mm. Uh, since 2016, um, the share of their Chinese customers has been declining uh, because people have realized that this is a long-term competition. Um, but to further reduce their reliance from the current level is going to be quite difficult uh, precisely because of China's manufacturing uh, supply chain strength. 
And it is extremely difficult to replace even a small segment of that supply chain uh, with another country or even a set of other countries. Uh, and that has made um, the political union or uh, some of the enterprise union are quite worried mm. uh, in, uh, in the U.S., so I'm not sure if they are able to actually live without China as its uh, biggest market. Um, and the U.S. competition, uh, the U.S.-China competition means uh, there will be more political pressure uh, and also more pressure from the U.S. allies as well. Mm. Uh, they also want to do business with China. Um, but currently, for example, the, the Dutch uh, leading company, uh, Mm. Um, in making uh, the manufacturing chip machine has been banned to export its latest version of the machine to right. Chinese customer. Uh, and that has become a major issue even for the Dutch politics. Mm. Andy, what do you think? Are US companies uh, or as Wanda mentioned, uh, the Dutch company be able to to trying to not rely you know, on, on China in terms of manufacturing? Well, so this is what makes the situation so complex. So mm -hmm. on the one hand, uh, you know, companies like ASML, uh, the Dutch company that makes these lithography machines, uh, especially the, the most advanced ones, of course they want to sell to China. But the U.S. exercises a very powerful form of economic coercion mm -hmm. in that whether you are uh, ASML whether you're Samsung, uh, whether you're Tokyo Electron, uh, you know, these are all key suppliers in the semiconductor value chain. You are relying on some U.S. IP, some U.S. technology, because uh, a number of U.S. companies still sit very far upstream. Uh, so EDA, uh, the, the, the software to design uh, semiconductors mm. uh, are American companies. Um, applied research, uh, applied materials, sorry, LAM research, some of these other very, very vital companies are American. And so what the U.S. can still do to any country, company around the world, not just Chinese companies, but they just don't do it in public usually, mm -hmm. is say, look, if you sell to China, you work with China, you're going to pay a price. Um, and that still works. Now, here comes the problem. And again, we can't uh, remove this from geopolitics. Part of the motivation for this chips bill is I think that uh, American policymakers recognize uh, that uh, Taiwan will be reunified with the mainland. Mm. And what does that mean? for their access. They worry about this, whether this will happen or not, but they're worried about this, mm. that TSMC will now, uh, well, in Taiwan, it may be uh, difficult uh, to, for them to source supply. So this is the motivation, part of the motivation for the chips bill. But here comes the problem for the US. It's not just money, because you can build the plant, but can you staff it? Right. And are there enough uh, engineers. And the ratio, I believe, is you not only have to hire engineers, but you need four to five technicians uh, to work in these fabs as well. And this is very, very different work from when people think about making semiconductors. They think about highly educated, creative people, you know, dreaming up these new things. It's actually hard labor. 
And there's a feeling amongst the industry leaders, uh, whether that's Taiwan, whether that's Japan, whether that's Korea, whether that's China with SMIC, is that you have to have a certain spirit that some in the semiconductor industry call the Confucian spirit, <laughs> meaning you're willing to be on call 24 hours a day to rush into the plant if there's a problem. You're willing to work long shifts. You're willing to work weekends. And whether that's true in the U.S. is is a question mark. So uh, I know that uh, like TSMC in Arizona, they're struggling to hire enough people. Uh, and the people they hire, they have to send to Taiwan for training. And are they going to be able to sustain this? I think is a very, very real question mark. So there are a lot of questions around this chips bill and uh, the U.S. goal uh, to mm. uh, avoid some of what they perceive as vulnerabilities. Well, I think you just pointed out a very important uh sort of like a culture element into a working culture element of into this uh into this discussion the chat lounge the chat lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way professor gong uh i remember when in, during the trump administration what happened to u.s tariffs against the Chinese goods is that the U.S. government will give a list that they will, you know, target. And then it will release their announcement. And then some U.S. companies will come in or come in through the format of, uh, let's say, lobbying groups and trying to say, OK, we need an exclusion on this. And the, usually it surprises me that usually the government will give them that exclusion. Uh, do you see the same kind of thing, the same kind of ha pattern happening again this time? Well, I guess it's a case by case basis. Mm -hmm. um, it's you know, it's controlled by the Commerce Department. I think it's controlled by the Commerce Department's BIS Bureau. Uh, it's called the Bureau of Industrial Security, I guess. I, I think it's the Maybe. I think that's the name. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, so I think, you know, this is a, a clearly intended to exercise some control over uh, the technology uh, and the product transfer, I guess. Um, there's such an analogy here, and I think um, it, it's potentially very possible that uh, the Commerce Department will be doing something very similar. Mm. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, well, let, let's uh, let's let's take a look at this from the angle or from the perspective of, the, of these uh, companies. Uh, in terms of, if we're talking totally purely business uh, now. Wanda, what's uh, What's a sensitive or what's a, excuse me? What's a sensible decision for them to make? You know, amid this uh, this coming bail. Um, for the chip manufacturing industry, mm. it has been a very stressful few years. Mm. Uh, it is impossible for them to go against the political tide. Uh, in this big background of the U.S.-China comp uh, competition and the potential decoupling in the high-tech high industry altogether, mm -hmm. then they need to think of alternative plans. And every company in the chip industry has been thinking about um, setting up at least some of the capacity uh, outside of China and maybe moving a small percentage of their business back to the U.S., uh, so far, 
these efforts have been quite marginal、um, because of the high cost. And also, we're in this post-pandemic recovery mode. Everything is underfunded,、uh, and certainly, moving your supply chain from an established market shouldn't be really the priority. But once this COVID situation is over, and then the world is back to、um, those two great power competition、mm-hmm. mode again, and then we will see.、Uh, Probably a step up in the effort of the U.S. company trying to relocating their、uh, some of their capacity to their allies or to some other less threatening countries outside of China.、Mm. Andy, what do you think?、Um, because I guess for businesses,、um, they have a lot of thing t- things to think about、uh, apart from geopolitics. Is also You know the 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 culture that you just mentioned, as well as you know the human capital and a lot of other things. I mean, is it wise, a good idea for them to try to relocate、uh, outside China? Well, I think、um, the companies that are doing well in the space. Let's just talk about at the foundry level,、uh, the TSMC. You know, basically, it's just TSMC and and it's Samsung.、Um, is that their goal? Is to be a monopoly, right? Because if you're the only company able to supply、mm. a vital product that everyone needs, that's great for your profitability.、Um, so I think they, of course, and they're optimized to be in their uh, environment. Uh, you know, they have all their suppliers there, they have all their systems.、Um, so, but on the other hand, of course, from a systemic perspective. Uh, if we think about the perspective of the customers, the end users, everyone wants lower prices, greater reliability in the supply chain. So this is the inherent tension that's being played out、uh, that has to be resolved. And then we layer on top of that the geopolitics, the great power competition.、Um, so this is、uh, not only very very complex. But very very volatile as well. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of cross currents、uh, that makes it very very hard to, I think, get a handle on how things will ultimately play out.、Uh, but also, in a way, I mean, it makes it very interesting too, right? As、mm. as observers and commentators,、uh, this is、uh, it's 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 important and it's worth following closely.、Mm. Well, Andy,、um, I also want to. Put a little bit more focus、uh, attention to you know where China stands in this、uh, whole industry. As、uh, according to some,、uh, I mean, preliminary, let's say, basic research that I have done, it seems that the it is extremely hard for the latecomers as China, you know, to to get a place in in the industry uh, because. Um, The、uh, the investments as well as R and D and research results are kind of accumulated over the years.、Uh, I mean, what is China's strength really, and what is China's、uh, disadvantages? Well, this is you know an incredibly complex question.、Um, mm. I think the short answer is that、uh, in the abstract, it really would not be that hard for China to catch up for two、mm. reasons. One, to push the technology envelope is always difficult. So、mm. if we look at the latest generation of lithography, it's something called EUV, extreme ultraviolet.、Mm. Um, this took decades to develop,、um, and basically all it does is it lets you print smaller circuits、uh, that use less power.、Uh, 
Um, so it's very difficult to create EUV, but it's easier to copy it or mm. replicate it because you already know it can be done. The challenge for China with this, though, is largely political and geopolitical in that there is a very big, powerful country that wants to prevent <laughs> China mm. from catching up. Mm. So this is one challenge. The other uh thing we need to think about, too, is that these performance metrics, right, whether it's, you know, can you produce a three nanometer chip or a two nanometer chip, uh, are only intermediary goals, because we want these because we can have uh, smartphones with greater capabilities, uh, more effective fighter jets, whatever. Mm. And that we can see is that, for example, in the news recently, uh, SMIC or SMIC, uh, the leading Chinese uh, semiconductor manufacturer created seven nanometer chips using the older technology of DUV or deep ultraviolet technology that people thought was impossible. <laughs> right. Mm. So um, I think that there's two levels at which China is advancing. One is that they're being creative about how do you engineer around problems. The other is what in the software world we might call refactoring, meaning that uh, the semiconductor value chain is long and complex. It needs highly purified gases. It needs certain tubes. Uh, it needs, of course, lithography machines. Um, and but if you were to rebuild it today, you probably can simplify, engineer around obstacles. And companies like Huawei are taking this approach, what they call systems engineering. Mm. How do we get the same result using different technologies, different components? So I'm actually confident that China will address this challenge. It won't be the way – it won't follow the path uh, – of the way the industry was built, but certainly recognizing the importance of semiconductors. I think China, of course, and it has its bureaucratic challenges mm. as well. You know, are the right people in place? Are the right incentives there? And China's also learning as it's going. But ultimately, I'm confident that it will succeed. Mm. Well, um, Professor Gong, what's your take on, do you think, um, do, do, what do you think China's doing? Or is China actually, you know, trying to push, you know, the big envelope that Andy just mentioned? Um, okay, so uh, I think one thing Andy said very uh, correctly is about the very long value chain. Um, mm -hmm. What it means is that there are many chains in this puzzle um, provided by you know other companies in other countries, and for China to um, to to grasp the technology, to come out of technology in all these areas, will be very very difficult. Um, for example, um, you know, you, you, you mentioned this lithography machine. I think this is most famous you know, because of the Dutch company, SML. Um, but there are also other components as well that are very critical. For example, some of the um, uh, the chemical liquids that are used are right. very much controlled by Japanese companies. And remember, Japan at one point imposed a sanction on South Korea <laughs> by boycotting <laughs> uh, providing mm. these uh, products to Samsung, for example, um, you know, that just cripples Samsung to a large extent. Um, I, I can give you other examples. For example, you know, the, the quality inspection machine is, is, is mostly coming from one American company called KAL 
Tencoin, right? They used to file a um, merger case in China, um, and and I actually I was on the you know part of the team to to help get it uh, through mm. the antitrust reviews. So I'm not very familiar. I'm very familiar with this company. Mm. It controls about eighty percent of the of the entire global market in that particular area. Um, their machines are that are very good at uh, uh, quality inspection, which is a critical piece of the, uh, the manufacturing process. Um, and there are other companies, uh, Prime Material, for example, the software design, that is Synopsys is an American company, right? So, um, you know, in, in many of these sort of upstream areas, um, you know, it involves many companies uh, in, in several countries. So for China to develop all of these things by mm. itself, uh, almost like from the scratch, it's just you know, very, very difficult. Mm. Uh, next, next to impossible, in my view. Well, so, uh, mm. so over the years, you know, this is very much an industry that is uh, developed uh, in a cooperative manner by several countries, by many companies in several countries. Uh, but I guess uh, mm. at this time, the issue of national security and geostrategic angles are introduced into the game. All of a sudden, everything changes. Mm. Uh, it's not interesting. These, uh, you know, this, the result of, is coming from this bill. Right. Wang Dan, Wang Dan, what do you think? Um, I mean, do you have anything to add? Uh, sure. I just want to add one point. It's a um, obvious shortcoming in China's chip industry. Uh, it is quite large and growing fast, but for its critical uh, technology, it's heavily reliant on imports. Uh, the semiconductor imports now actually cost China more than energy, uh, mm. than oil. And a lot of the components that China imported are essential for it to make finished goods and that are eventually would go for exporting, uh, go for exports. Uh, iPhone is only one of those examples. Uh, the design of the chips and the chips themselves all come from outside of China. And for China, it's still... Uh, is sort of in this end, um, this end part of the supply chain, and that has posed a great vulnerability onto its chip industry. We we have to consider, you know, put the spill into the bigger context of the entire U.S.-China uh, trade and economic relations. And when we consider, you know, the how uh, closely integrated they are, uh, they are with each other in almost every aspect, not to mention, you know, the people-to-people -people exchanges and uh, cultural, societal exchanges. Um, I think... Uh, a lot of companies are trying to avoid the scenario of a actual decoupling. Uh, but uh, what, what, what do you think? What's your opinion on this? Let me start with Professor Gong. Well, um, I, I think the company is already happening. Uh, it's, it, it will happen in a much larger scale, in my view. Um, because inevitably, uh, companies involved in this in this industry would have to be influenced and, and very much it's you know decided actually by this policy from coming from Washington. Uh, now I also want to make a point that uh, they, you know Washington can do what it wants, uh, but historically uh, it's not like this hasn't happened before. Um, you know when United States economy was was really rising, you know at the 
after the, the end of the 19th century, mm. the, the British Empire used to do something very similar. They boycotted um, technologies uh, from transferring across the Atlantic to, to, to North America. Um, it adopted other strategies basically to contain the United States as well. But all of these things failed. And eventually, of course, uh, you know, mm. one government's policy is not going to stop the the grand China history. Um, mm. And I'm afraid that something similar is going to happen here as well. Um, and in a sense, I think, um, you know, if we get into a situation uh, like what I just described, it's actually not a bad thing. I mean, I think the the leadership transition from United Kingdom to the United States uh, was more or less very peaceful. Uh, and, and certainly I hope the same thing will happen again mm. uh, in this case. Wang Dai, what's, what's your take on, on this? Uh, you know, people just don't, I don't think a lot of companies would actually just see, you know, an actual decoupling. Well, of the... Uh, top 15 largest companies in the chip industry, and none of them are Chinese. So basically, most of them are the U.S. companies or uh, have a European, at least have a European stake. And that has uh, explained the hesitance of uh, a lot of um, the initiative between the U.S. and Europe that were initially trying to uh, promote decoupling between U.S. and China, but later figured this is just way too difficult for its <laughs> domestic company to handle. And then we have seen this um, latest initiative, including the bill you mentioned, uh, trying to do the rebalancing uh, global chip supply chains away from China. Uh, now it doesn't really have any substantial impact yet, um, but over time, I'm afraid it will have uh, quite significant impact because when it comes to the digital economy, uh, the military technology, uh, it is really too important for any of the global power to secure. And China has stepped up its effort uh, in self-sufficiency of those technologies. Um, that has given the sense of urgency to the Western counterparts. Uh, I'm afraid the competition will only become more intense over the years. Mm, well, I, let's just pray that, uh, you know, um, companies as well as people will try to find their own way to navigate in this uh, very uh, difficult time. And uh, indeed, this is a very complex uh, issue. And I want to thank you all again for joining me today. We've been talking to Wang Dan, Chief Economist at Hang Seng Bank China, Andy Mark, Senior Research Fellow at the Center for China and Globalization, also Professor Zhang Gong, Vice President of Research and Strategy at the University of International Business and Economics, Israel. To our listeners, thank you for staying with us. Until next time, I'm Liu Kun in Beijing.